Chapter 3 Finn spent the following week in a mischievous pout, a mood that manifested itself in a number of misfortunes to befall Sister Hilda. On Tuesday morning, Hilda discovered her shoes mysteriously filled with cow dung. She shrieked in anger and threw open the closet to fetch her second pair, and shrieked again, finding them treated the same. Despite the intense scouring she gave her footwear before breakfast, she was accompanied the rest of the day by the odor of fresh manure, not to mention the squish of wet shoe. On Wednesday, curious misfortune struck again when the hogs escaped their pen and ran amok, soiling the freshly hung linens, pulling many of them down and dragging them across the yard. Hilda stood amid this porcine calamity, shrieking demands like a general, and waving her nose at any orphan in sight until the riotous pigs knocked her legs from beneath her. She landed squarely on her rump and came snout to snout with a great swarthy hog that nuzzled at her cheek and licked her shuddering nose. Hilda wrestled the beast to the ground and dragged it back to the pen in a feat of determination and anger that quite impressed the onlooking orphans. At other times during Finn's pout, acorns, pecans, and cypress balls fell with astonishing accuracy to connect directly with the top of Sister Hilda's head. For reasons unexplainable by orphans, these only seemed to fall when Hilda wandered near the front of the chapel and directly under the bell tower. It was also an odd coincidence that Finn managed to be out of eyeshot whenever any such malfeasance occurred. Sister Hilda could find no proof of any culprit, however, and Finn, though primely suspected, stayed safely out of the cookpot. Such small but total victories gradually succeeded in lifting Finn out of her pout and into more of a satisfied sulk. Peter tried to cheer her spirits, but Finn used his attempts to induce him to join in her plots against Sister Hilda. And it was Peter who lured Hilda into the target area while Finn lobbed her missiles from the bell tower. On Friday, after evening chores, Finn stepped out of the dining hall with a scandalous glint in her eye. She slipped across the courtyard, keeping a sharp look around to see that Hilda wasn't watching, and then darted into the barn. She emerged moments later carrying a rusty claw hammer and a handsaw, and then dashed back across the yard to hide in the shadows under the awning of the chapel door. In the dusk, amid the chirping of insects and the clamor of twenty-five orphans readying themselves for bed, there came the less natural sound of metal scraping on wood. While the lamps of the orphan house were being snuffed, Peter stepped outside the door and looked around. The sound of metal on wood came again and he cocked his head to one side, listening, before stepping away from the door and walking to the chapel. What are you doing? Finn jumped and held the hammer as if she were ready to throw it. She was kneeling in the grass beside the front door of the chapel and had managed to work the first of the three front steps loose. When she realized it was only Peter, she smiled and motioned for him to be quiet. This is going to be the best. If I take off the steps and saw through them a bit from the bottom, then I can put them back on, and the next person that tries to climb up, they'll snap and fall right through. And I've got a whole pot full of hog slop hidden behind the dining hall so I can pour it underneath. When Hilda goes in for prayers before breakfast, oh, it's going to be great. Finn hardly suppressed a cackle as she went back to prying the second step up with the hammer. How'd you know I was out here? She added as she rocked the hammer back and forth. Well, I heard Deli Martin upstairs complaining that everyone was in bed but you. Hilda will be out looking any minute. Well, that little girl needs a lesson in keeping her mouth clapped shut. This is a bad idea, Finn. Peter was shaking his head. Eh, I'm full of bad ideas. Peter knelt down. He reached out and put his hand on the hammer to stop her. Someone could get hurt. Hilda's not the only one that says prayers before breakfast. What if Carmeline walks into this? What if it's Owen? Finn's shoulders slumped. 
She sat still and contemplative for a moment, then wrenched the hammer away from Peter and continued her work. You telling me what to do now, Peter? Thought that was Hilda's job. Well, you know I'm not. I'm just worried. Finn stopped working and snapped her head up to look at Peter. You're worried? What have you got to worry over? You'll find an apprenticeship soon, or you'll go to work on a farm or join the army, and you'll be out of here and away from Hilda and her chores and rules and her ever-waggling tongue. But what about me, Peter? Finn shrugged at him. Peter didn't answer. What's going to happen to me? I'm 17, but I'm not like the other girls. You know that. It's a matter of a man and a marriage. Isn't that what Carmeline tells all the girls? All they want is to get married off and spend the rest of their days sitting in skirts and mending holes in a husband's pants. I don't know how to want that, Peter. So what do you want? Finn didn't answer and instead continued tearing up the step. Peter sat down beside her. He reached for her hammer once more, but Finn pulled it back. Peter didn't withdraw. She hesitated and ground her teeth and then gave the hammer over and crossed her arms. I don't need looking after, you know, said Finn. Of course you don't, said Peter. Finn could see his smile in the dark and gave him hers in return. Then she shook her head. I suppose this was a pretty terrible idea, huh? The worst. They broke into laughter and tried to muffle their amusement in the darkness, but the sound may as well have been a siren to Hilda's ears. She followed the commotion to its source and set her bony hands upon her hips, looming over Finn and Peter for some time before either saw she was there. When she spoke, both of them lurched upright and wide-eyed. I await an explanation, Mr. Lemie, said Hilda. Finn opened her mouth to claim her part, but Peter elbowed her in the ribs and lifted up the hammer so Hilda could see it. Sorry, Sister Hilda, I meant to tell you earlier, said Peter. I noticed the step boards were loose and I wanted to nail them back down before somebody got hurt. Finn was just helping me. Hilda narrowed her eyes at the both of them. Her nose ticked from side to side as she considered Peter's exclamation. Before she could make any judgment, Peter bent down and hammered the step back into place while Finn nudged the saw out of sight with her foot. There, all done, said Peter. He stepped up onto the step and tried it with his weight. Finn could hear Hilda's breath whistling in her flared nostrils as she considered the scene. To bed, both of you, before I choose to see more than the darkness allows. Neither argued. On Sunday, Sister Carmeline declared that an announcement would be made at breakfast. She didn't say what the announcement might be, but everyone was sure the topic was the selection of the chapel detail. Boys laid odds on who might make the list and bet slingshots, knives, and the odd bear's tooth. John Cooper, Danny Schumann, and Peter Lemie were heavily favored. Breakfast all but disappeared as soon as Brother Bartimaeus laid it on the table. The excitement of the day dictated that this was a meal to be quickly done away with and swept aside. It would not do to bother tasting it as it went down, not when there were more important matters to be gotten around to. Sister Carmeline, of course, held no such anxiety. She enjoyed each bite of her bacon, eggs, two biscuits, and an orange just as thoroughly as ever. The orphans, having long since dispatched their food, wrung their hands and stared at Carmeline in silence. By the time she finished and called the room to attention, they were on the edge of bursting. "'Children, I am happy to announce that Reverend George Whitfield is to be our guest today and will preach our service.' Her face lit up as she passed the news. Reverend Whitfield is a great man, and his patronage is an immeasurable blessing. I expect all of you to be dressed properly and to have your finest behavior on display. Tomorrow we shall make our choices for the chapel detail, and for Brother Bartimaeus's assistant. I assure you that anyone causing an embarrassment today will certainly find dismay come tomorrow. Am I understood? Heads nodded and yes-ma'ams answered. Good. Dismissed. 
Reverend Whitfield had been instrumental in the finances of the orphan house, and he visited whenever he was in the colonies. He always tended to be going on about God choosing people and folks being predestined for such and such, but Finn never cared much for sermons, and his talk about people not having a say in their own lives was more than enough to make her wrinkle up her nose at the whole affair. If there was anything she couldn't stand, it was other people telling her what to do, even if other people happened to be the Lord. Sister Carmeline, on the other hand, claimed that Reverend Whitfield was the greatest Christian of the age, and if the crowd at the orphan house that morning was any indication, most of Georgia agreed. Folks began to arrive soon after breakfast, and within the hour the entire courtyard was packed. The orphans busied themselves putting on their best clothes, and Finn was as anxious as the rest to get outside and join the excitement. She and the sisters parted ways, however, on the meaning of best clothes. To Finn, it meant nothing more than her usual trousers, shirt, and bare feet. To the sisters, it meant the frilly blue dress they forced her into whenever they wanted to impress people. Finn loathed it. After a healthy amount of glaring at the offending garment, her desire to join the excitement of the crowd outside won her over, and she put it on with a grumble. She felt preposterous. The way the other girls were forever brushing things and powdering things and primping things utterly confounded her. On occasion, she did find herself having the merest concern for her appearance when Peter was around, but she tried her best to ignore the feeling, and usually succeeded quite well. The matter of the dress, however, brought it to her mind, and she quietly wondered what he would think of it. Then she cursed herself for the thought, and promised not to think such foolishness again. The courtyard was choked with people of all shapes, sizes, and smells. Plumped and powdered women in skirts and endless petticoats stared down their noses at lesser-dressed folk, while black-coated gentlemen calmly battered away farmers, smiths, and anyone else they suspected might be untidy or of lowly account. These were in the minority, however, as most in the crowd were plainly dressed in various shades of brown and were smiling, shaking hands, and chatting away with country folk they hadn't seen since glory knew when. Finn pushed her way through them, trying in vain not to be seen. At last she gained the chapel doors and slipped inside to find her usual spot. Peter was already there, dressed in a black suit. She plopped down beside him, and he eyed her up and down. Nice dress, Finn. Ooh! A sharp elbow in the side shut him up. Peter winced and fretted under his breath. People continued to pack into the chapel until children were standing on the benches just to see the podium. The windows were open, and the crowd outside crammed their faces in to get a glimpse of the goings-on. Finn half expected someone to tear the roof open and lower down a cripple. Sister Carmeline plowed through the crowd, causing a good deal of grunting and grumbling, before she popped out at the front and stepped to the podium. "'Good morning, brothers and sisters in Christ,' she said, beaming with a hostess pride. "'I am honored to welcome the Reverend Whitfield back to Ebenezer today.' An eruption of claps, whistles, and amens peppered the air before she could continue. "'Before Reverend Whitfield delivers us the word,' I am pleased to welcome the choir from Bethsaida Church in Savannah to bless us with song. She removed herself to the side, and a double file of men and women clothed in black robes with wide white collars took to the stage. The choir director stepped to the front of the assembly and raised his baton. There was a moment's pause, and the first notes began. The sound that came from the choir was unlike anything Finn had ever heard. She had never cared for Sister Carmeline's vespers, much less her singing. But as the weight of the choir's hymn rolled over her, she felt small and exhilarated like a leaf caught in a summer wind. The gathered crowd joined the choir. Men's thundering tones rumbled forth, while the soft voices of women and children soared bright and clear. The sound was tremendous, and Finn feared for a moment that it might bring down the chapel. 
When it ended, there was no sound at all for what seemed like a long time. Then, from somewhere outside, a commotion erupted. The crowd chattered, and everyone looked around in confusion. Sister Carmeline bounced forward and called the chapel to order, but few heeded her. The murmurs of the crowd indicated that someone was on the roof of the dining hall. Finn and Peter pushed their way toward the door, and Sister Carmeline was still trying to call order to the service when they broke free of the chapel doorway and plunged into a sea of people that clogged the whole of the courtyard. People sat aloft in the trees and on top of fences and filled every open space. On the roof of the dining hall, Finn spied an elderly man with silver hair and black flowing robes. "'My friends!' he cried. "'I deem the chapel is too small to house the many ears that have come. The words of life are not uttered for those that got here first. Rather, they are best fallen on ears that have never before come at all.' It was Reverend Whitfield. He began his exhortation, and his voice carried across the crowd as if he were speaking to them each alone rather than to a multitude. He didn't endeavor to speak to the church-going so much as to the drunken and tattered on the edges of the crowd, whose dirty faces, streaked clean by rivulets of tears, gave testimony of their greatest sins. "'I am the chiefest of sinners,' said the reverend, "'and the least of all saints.' I want to be converted from ten thousand things and from ten thousand more. Lord God, confirm me. Let neither spark nor flame of hell warm the feet of a man the Lord God has chosen. Before the sun was set in the sky, before we were formed in the womb, he ordained the calling of the faithful. Come now whom he calls and be born a new creature. Lord God, revive. In droves, people went to answer his call down to the Savannah River to let baptism carry away their sin. Finn and Peter went too, and Reverend Whitfield plunged them beneath the cleansing flow. Finn watched Peter come up from the water. His face was radiant, yet she felt she saw him grow apart from her in some way. It seemed he was standing a step more distant than he had been only a moment before. She reached her hand out to him, almost dizzy with the illusion of distance. He took her in a hug, but when he let her go, she was stiff and withdrawn. Finn? She tried to manage a smile. What's wrong? said Peter. He said God chooses us before we're born. Peter wrinkled his brow. Finn looked away. Just like my parents. They wanted a boy. They didn't want me. What if he doesn't want me either? She walked away and pushed Peter's attempts to comfort her aside. By the time she reached the orphan house, she was already pulling off the dress. <laughs>